Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 9. That's the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 9. Now this morning we begin a new series. And this series is called STBC Building Blocks. Yes, we're going to have some building blocks the next several weeks because Jesus said that he would build his church. So we're going to talk about the kind of church that Jesus builds. Namely, we're going to look at how he is building Strong Tower Bible Church. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at things like our mission statement, our vision, our philosophy of ministry. Um, we'll break down certain aspects that you may even heard today spoken of from the platform concerning racial issues, inequality, justice, men and women relationships. We're going to talk about that as we talk about Strong Tower Bible Church building blocks. So you don't want to miss anything during this series. And today we're going to begin by talking about our name, Strong Tower Bible Church. So as we talk about the rudimentary principles of this church, we're going to begin with our name. And so I'd like to entitle this message, Get Ready to Run. Stuart, get ready to run. I need you to get ready to run. But first, let's pray. Father God, thank you. <laughs> yes, Lord, it is okay to pray. Thank you for our children being with us today. We pray that you would give them gleanings of the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you said that unless we become like children, we can't enter the kingdom or understand the kingdom. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do, not only today, but on Wednesday and even next week, Lord. We anticipate great things as we do our best to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, as we sharpen one another like iron, as we enjoy fellowship with one another. Thank you for the church, the family of God, because, Lord, some of us come from some very fragmented homes, and there's nothing like the family of God, because in this room we have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. We have friends that stick closer than many of our biological brothers, and we say thank you for the blood of Jesus that links us all together. Now, Holy Spirit, would you teach us your word at this hour and then give us the strength to apply it, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, on December 28th, 1991, almost 25 years ago, I said I do to this woman on the front row. And so this year will be 25 years of marriage. And when we got married, uh, we had to have a particular understanding with our living arrangement. Because before we got married, I was living with Pastor Daryl. And Daryl and I were living together in this place on Leesville Road. Small little place, a bachelor pad. But we had decided that we had to make a move towards Nashville, Tennessee. And so Daryl, right before I got married, he left Virginia, where we were, and moved to Nashville because our record company was here in Nashville. And so the plan was for me to get married in December 
and then finish up my master's at Liberty and graduate in May and then join the rest of our group here in Nashville. And that's exactly what we did. My wife and I were able to turn that bachelor pad into a honeymoon suite and we lived there for five months. Because uh, when you're newlywed, you don't really need to live on much but love. I mean, we had some oodles and noodles, but we didn't need much because we were dripping with honey from the honeymoon. Let the church say amen. amen. Children, close your ears and just try to hang with me. <laughs> but we came here in May with aspirations of taking our music ministry to a whole nother level. We had recorded two records. Uh, back then, they were called records with uh, Benson Records. And we were ready to record our third record and go on tour and do all the things that happens in Music City. And we had been doing our ministry on college campus and through graduate school for six years. And so it was time now to take it to another level. Daryl was here, Andre was here, and now Doreen and I got here, uh, and it was time to go. But little did we know that as soon as we unloaded the last box from the U-Haul truck, that our record company called us and said, we are discontinuing your contract and we will not renew your option to make a third record. At that point, I was in a crisis of unbelief because I said, Lord, I don't believe it. Why in the world would you allow us to come all the way here? Being in Virginia is one thing. In Lynchburg, Virginia is one thing. Then you drag me to hee-haw land, and I'm from Baltimore, and I don't know what's going on up in here. And that crisis brought me closer to the Lord. And so without a record contract, we decided to dissolve our group called Transformation Crusade. And I found myself working in a metal shop in Cool Springs. I lived in Nashville, but I would drive out to Franklin and work at a metal shop in Cool Springs. And, and while I'm going into this metal shop day after day, I'm asking God, Lord, what is going on? Why did you bring me here only to have us not have the reason for why we came? And I'm on this job and I'm trying to share my faith and I'm getting dogged every day by these various individuals. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? Well, there was a church uh, in Franklin called Christ Community Church. And they're still there. And uh, at that time, Christ Community was a very, very large Presbyterian church in America, PCA. And they were doing extensive work in the African-American community. Now, Christ Community was a large uh, Caucasian church, 99.9% .9 white. And so they had this heart for the community, for the African-American community, but they knew that their efforts were somewhat stalled without African-American male leadership. So they heard about me and we got together and we uh, decided we would work together. And so in 1993, I started working with Christ Community Church as their urban ministry intern. And so doing this, I would go out into the community and build relationships, starting first with the young people, with the students, with the teenagers. I would go up to the school, uh, Freedom Middle, Franklin Intermediate at the time. Uh, I would go up to Franklin High School and just have lunch and just try to build relationships with the kids. And then I would invite them to Bible studies. I would invite them to camps. We would have outreach events called the Hoop Night Jam where upwards of 500 people from around the community would come and we would play basketball and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so a great work was going on as I worked with Christ Community Church. 
But what Christ's community would also do back in that time was they would allow me to preach from time to time. And so when I would get up and preach in front of 3,000 white people, every now and then some of them would come up to me and say, if you ever start a church, we would be interested. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? Now, while I'm in the neighborhoods and I'm working with the students, I then start working with their parents. And so I started doing Bible studies with the parents of the students that I was ministering to. And then many of them would say, if you ever start a church, we would be interested. And so I began to think about that Henry Blackaby statement that was very popular back in the day. And that was, find out where God is at work and then join him in the work. And so I saw what God was doing. He was bringing together two people groups in Franklin, a town that is historically divided through the Civil War and other acts of segregation, that God in 1993 and 94 and 95, he was raising up a people group that would come together across race and denomination and class. And I said, Lord, okay, I see what you're doing. And I began to read the book of Acts and I saw how the first church was multi-dimensional. What I mean by that, it was multi-ethnic, multi-economic, multi-generational. It was multi-everything. And as I began to read the Bible, I said, Lord, we can do this again. I remember what John Perkins said. I spent some time with him. Doreen and I had lunch with him uh, last week. And he said, when God wanted to change the world, he decided to plant a multicultural church. And so as I was looking at what the Lord was doing, I started going around to get a little bit of advice from various men in the community. I knocked on the door of some black pastors and I said, I believe God is putting it on my heart to start a multiracial church in Franklin. And I remember one of those ministers in particular saying to me, son, don't do that because what you think you're doing for God may end up being building blocks for the devil. And so I said to myself when I left his office, I will never come back in here again to get wisdom from you because I was reading something different from the Bible than what culture was saying. You see, I grew up in the black church. And if you go to the class with Alvin and with Jermaine, you'll learn some of the historical reasons why there is a black church and a white church. But I grew up in the black church. And so when I started accepting this call to say, okay, God, I will plant a church, I assumed that it was going to be a black church because that's what I grew up in. But the Lord said, uh, no, Chris, I need you to plant my church. And my church is going to have all kinds of people in it. And so I said, yes, Lord, I accepted the call to plant the church. Didn't know what I was doing, had always said I would not be a pastor. But I also said I would never be a preacher. And I also said, look, okay, Lord, if I be a pastor, I won't plant a church. So watch what God does. He calls me to preach, he calls me to be a pastor, and he calls me to plant a church. Watch out when you tell God what you won't do. <laughs> he has a wonderful sense of humor. He has a way of working in you to will and to do of his Good pleasure. And so we determined, okay, we're going to start this church. I'd married a woman who was a pastor's daughter, and so she had experience. She knew what time it was. I said, okay, God, I see you setting this thing up. Scott Rowley gave me great support from Christ's community. They said to me, which was unheard of in that time, 
When you start this church, it does not have to be under the umbrella of the Presbyterian Church in America. But no, it's a kingdom thing, and we're going to support you for the first three years. We will pay your salary in full the first year. We'll back it down to 50% the second year, and then we'll take it down to a third on the last year until you are self-sufficient as a church. And they got behind us. And many of their people left their church and came to Strong Tower. But I said, Lord, what are we going to name this thing? What are we going to call this church? Now, again, I come from the culture where we call churches the New Mount Carmel, Mount Nebo Missionary Pentecostals. I said, no, we can't call it one of those names. I lose my white people if we call it one of those names. So one day, I'm reading Proverbs and and I like to read a proverb that coincides with the date. So if it's the 10th, I would read Proverbs 10. If it was the 18th, I would read Proverbs 18. So on this day, sometime in the early part of 1995, I was reading Proverbs chapter 18, and I came across verse 10. And the Bible says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And it leaped off the page at me because I love, that's how God speaks to me through the word of God. Some of us, he speaks through visions and dreams and through circumstances, but he is always going to speak through the word of God. And man, it jumped off the page at me and I said, that's it. That's the name Strong Tower Bible Church. And so we got started, and and as I began to look at that word strong tower, because it's likened to the name of the Lord, I, I had to begin to do a little bit of research to understand what a strong tower was. Because whatever it is, it must be heavy to be compared to the name of the Lord. And when you read that in uh, uh, the English version, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord, all caps, lets us know as English readers that that is the word Jehovah or Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the self-existing God. And so the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So if I need to know what a strong tower is since it's compared to the Lord. So I began to research And I discovered that a strong tower was something that would sit inside of a city in Bible days. Now, in Bible days, cities were distinguished from villages because cities always had a wall around them. You see, the Bible was written to a people that were pretty much an agrarian people, a nomadic people who would move from place to place. And when they would settle, they would sometimes have these villages But when they would really settle down and turn the village into a city, they would begin by making walls around the area. Remember when the Israelites were coming into the promised land, they came up against Jericho, which was a great walled city. And so when you would see walls, you would know you were coming upon a city. Now, the the way they did this back in the day was the walls would have gates or doors where they could go in and come out. And they would have them on various parts of the wall around the entire city. And also in the wall, they would build these little towers called watch towers. And what would happen is soldiers would climb into the watch towers to look out into the land to see the advancement of the enemy. 
So at various places around the wall, there would be these towers where soldiers would climb in to be able to see the advancement of the enemy. And what would happen is that the enemy would come many times and penetrate the outer walls, knock down the walls, come into the city and have their way. But what many cities did was that inside of the city walls, they would build this thing, this monstrosity, this inner garrison, this fortress, this thing called a strong tower. So that if in fact the enemy penetrated the outer walls and came into the city, then the people in the city would run inside of the strong tower. And once inside of the strong tower, they would find safety. Once inside of the strong tower, they would find refuge. They would find welfare. And then they would reorganize so that now they could engage in warfare. You see, the strong tower was in the city for the city. When the enemy penetrated the walls, they would run in and find safety, but also from that strong tower, they would wage war. And I said, yes, Lord, that's what we need in this area. We need a church for everybody and anybody, no matter what economic status, denominational background, race, gender, anything. Lord, let them come on in to your house to find safety in your house, to find covering in your house, but also in this house. May they learn how to engage in warfare, like through these classes that we're giving all of us an opportunity to participate in so that we know how to grow up as believers and not just drink milk on Sunday to Sunday, but learn how to cut and chew the meat of the word of God and put it into practice, whether we're men or women, students or children. So the strong tower, I said, that's it. But you got to look with me at this story in Judges chapter 9 to see this thing come to life. Let's start at verse 50. Judges chapter 9, verse 50. It says, Then Abimelech went to the best. Let's stop for a minute. Abimelech is a son of Gideon. Gideon was one of the judges of Israel. Gideon had 70 children because he had a whole lot of wives. But he also had another child through a concubine, and that child's name was Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was a rotten individual. And the story is told in Judges chapter 9 that he ended up killing his 70 stepbrothers so that he could be king. He and the people of Shechem came together to annihilate his half-brothers. And so this man is a, 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 a hardcore, evil individual. So he has just come from a place, the place of Shechem, because Shechem, the Shechemites and Abimelech ended up having a fight together. Even though they had banded together to defeat Gideon's sons, three years later, they were at odds with one another and at war with one another. So he goes to the place of Shechem and he destroys that place. He destroys all the men, he burns the city, and he laces it with salt. Then he comes to Thebes, which is verse 50. And he encamped against Thebes, and he took it. But there was a strong tower in the city. 
Now, now let me pause for a minute. Back in Shechem, there was a tower, but it wasn't a strong tower. It was a tower that the people ran into when Abimelech came against them and broke down the outer walls. But what they did was rather than staying in the tower, they left the tower and ran into an underground stronghold. And when they ran into this underground stronghold, Abimelech went and got tree boughs, placed it over top of the stronghold and burned it and burned the people alive as they were in the underground shelter. And so now he comes into Thebes and he's thinking he's going to take this city. But there was a strong tower in the city. And all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So he's going to try to use the same technique he used in Shechem when they went into the underground stronghold. Now he's going to try to burn the door. Now the thing about the enemy, whether it's Abimelech or Satan, they only got a couple of moves that they use. And they use these moves because they know that they work. It kind of reminds me when I dance. I only have a couple of moves. Oh, we've got the Valentine's banquet coming up. And when that comes up, I'm going to be out on the floor doing my couple of moves. I can do this all night long. I can do that right there. I can sit in the pocket right there all night long. I got another move too where I, you know, break down and go, boom, boom, boom. I only got a couple of moves. But I was able to get that girl right there with them dance moves I got. And the devil only got a couple of moves. Let me hit him with fear. Let me hit him with pride. Let me hit him with lust. See, he's only got a couple of moves that he uses, but he keeps using them because they work. But on this day, that burn the door thing, it ain't going to work because look at verse 53 with me. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me. Lest men say, look at that pride, a woman killed him. Let's see, it's about 10,000 years later, and what are we saying today? A woman killed you, bruh. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. All God needs is one person who's willing to stand up in the gap and be a difference maker to start a revival, to start a movement amongst his people. All he needs is one person who makes themselves available. And in this passage, the Bible says it was a certain woman. Now, when the Bible says it's a certain woman and doesn't give her name, what this means is that she could be every woman. Uh, uh, I know Shaka Khan saying I'm every woman, but it started right here. She could be this certain woman. She could have been married. She could have been single. We don't know for sure. She's a certain woman. She's every woman. She could have been divorced. She could have been remarried after a divorce. She could have been a widow. 
This woman could have been a grandmother. This woman could have been somebody's auntie. We don't know for sure. She could have been rich. She could have been poor. We don't know, but she was a certain woman. And this lets me know, man, that God will use us when we make ourselves available. Now, again, we, we, we got to, I don't want to badmouth the brothers. But where were the brothers? Never underestimate the importance of women in the strong tower. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. So just hold on. We don't know a lot about her, but we do know three things. Number one, she was smart. Number two, she was brave. And number three, this woman was strong. Or pen pen where some of y'all come from, she was strong. She was strong. Number one, this woman was smart. Pastor, why was she smart? Because the men in the other story left the strong tower and went underground and got burned up. But this woman had enough brains to go up to the top of the tower because sometimes the best way, listen to this, the best way to fight your enemy is from an aerial view. Mm, Y'all stay with me. You see, when you can go up and have an aerial view of your enemy, your enemy looks smaller. When you have an aerial view of your enemy, you can see the whole landscape a whole lot better. And what this woman does is that she reminds us that we need to just stop fighting the devil down here. You know, just trying to engage in spiritual warfare down. Sometimes we got to learn how to go up to heavenly places. Oh, come on, go with me, church. Sometimes we got to go up high because I'm seated with Jesus in heavenly places. But if I stay down there and I just keep trying to fight the enemy and not realize the blessed position that I have in Christ, that when he raised up, he raised me up with him and seated me in heavenly places. And I'm able to see the enemy down below that he is defeated because I'm with Christ in heavenly places. This lady was smart. She understood what needed to happen because when you get up high, you can do what Romans chapter 16 says, that the God of peace will soon crush the enemy underneath your feet. But if you always stay down low, it's going to be hard to get your foot up on top of the enemy. But you got to go up high at the top of the tower in heavenly places where you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3 and put your foot down and defeat the one who's already been defeated by the blood of Jesus. I love how Romans says the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Satan's already been crushed. Going to come to that in a minute. But in my day-to-day living, God is going to hold the devil down and let me stomp him. That's gangster right there. That's just gangster right there. You know how when you got in a fight back in the day, your older siblings would hold the person. Well, some of y'all didn't grow up the way I grew up. But anyway, now get your stomp in. And Jesus is going to hold the enemy. Say, Chris, go ahead and get your stomp in. I know he's been messing with you. Go ahead and stomp him. And notice I'm stomping him with these shoes of peace. Mm. Ephesians 6 tells me in the warfare that when I get dressed and I put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, that I also need to put on my gospel shoes of peace. 
Why do I need to put on the gospel shoes of peace? Because it's in the gospel that I have peace. The gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the thing that keeps me secure. The gospel is the thing that keeps me standing firm. Without the gospel, man, I'll go all over the place. And so I'm able to defeat the enemy through the gospel, these shoes of peace. Oh, I know I need to move on, but I got to give you an illustration. I grew up liking Michael Jackson. And when Michael would do his moves, and he had a whole bunch of moves, he invented this one move where he would lean. Now, I can't do it because he would lean. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mike would lean like that. Then he tipped the hat and he'd be leaning. Then his mouth be open. Uh. Like, how Mike do that? Well, Mike had a device in his shoe that when they would be dancing and doing their stuff, and then their shoe, it had a device that he patented. And it would fit inside of a little screw that was on the stage, and it would go up in it. And it would secure him so that he could then do that lean and give that kind of perception that look at him leaning like that. No, he wasn't leaning like that. It was his shoe that was bolted to the floor, allowing him to lean. I'm here to let you know you're going to go through some stuff that's going to make you lean. But because of the gospel that has your feet planted to the ground by the work of Jesus Christ, you can lean and you can say, victory! I know I'm struggling a little bit, but victory! She went up top so she could step the devil. But not only was this woman smart, man, she was brave because she faced the enemy head on. She reminds me of the women who showed up at the tomb of Jesus when the men were in hiding. You know that Jesus appeared first to a woman because the women had the courage to not only be at the cross when the disciples had fled except for John, the women were at the cross and they showed up on Sunday morning to anoint his body. And Jesus blessed them by appearing to them because of their bravery. Man, I wish I had time to tell you how she reminds me of Harriet Tubman, who was a great freedom fighter who not only got free from slavery herself out of Maryland and went into Philadelphia and into Canada, but she had the bravery to go back into slavery on multiple trips to take slaves out of slavery and bring them into freedom. And then she joined the Union Army as a cook and a nurse. And she has the distinction of being the first woman to lead a a battalion and to carry a rifle in the Civil War. Oh, she reminds me of that brave woman. But not only that, this woman was stronged out. Not only was she smart, not only was she brave, but she was strong. Because an upper millstone was used to grind the meal, to be able to grind, and it weighed at least 100 pounds. So this sister had been getting her squats on. She, she had been getting the keg bell. She, she'd been getting her squats on. She, she could pick that thing up and put it up over the side and then drop it down. She was strong enough. And then here's the thing. When that thing came down, hit Abimelech upside the head. Now, you see right here, she dropped the bomb on her. This is where the Gap Band was inspired. You dropped the bomb on me, lady. She took him out. 
But not only was she smart, brave, and strong, strong top, I got to let you know, this woman was a type of Jesus Christ. Mm, Let that just go in your traditional left ear and out the traditional right ear for a moment. Because usually we read the Bible and think that only men can be types or pictures of Christ. But this lady is a picture of Jesus Christ. Pastor, why do you say that? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the gospel in the Old Testament called the Pro-Evangelium. And that is the gospel in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3:15, God speaks to the serpent. He tells the devil that there will be enmity or a fight between your seed and the woman's seed. This seed, capital S, will bruise your head but you will bruise his heel. So what the Lord said on that day is that there was going to be a cosmic fight, a cataclysmic battle between Satan and Jesus to save the descendants of Adam and Eve from sin and death. And the way that Jesus would come, he would come into the world as the seed of a woman. Women do not have seeds, they have eggs. So that spoke of a supernatural virgin birth that Jesus would come into the world. And when he would come, he came to do battle with sin and death and Satan. And in doing so, he died on the cross, which was likened to a heel wound. Jesus bled, Jesus suffered, Jesus died. But the Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus triumphed over the devil through the cross, thereby rendering a death blow to his head. Think about it. Would you rather get hit in your heel or hit upside your head? Jesus hit the devil up, whoops, upside the head. He hit him upside the head and he defeated the devil. And so this woman is a picture of Jesus who dropped that millstone on the devil's head on Abimelech's head. Thank God for this woman who had the ability to go up in the top of the church to represent Christ, the head of the church, and protect the church from the enemy. Oh, Strong Tower, I just want to let you know we got some certain women up in here, right here, right now, up in this church. This church would not be what it is, where it is, without all of the women in this church. So for a moment, I need all of the sisters, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're remarried, whether you're young, whether you're older, to stand up right now. We want to thank God for all the ladies in this Strong Tower. We can't do it without you. We honor you. We honor you. Y'all win so many battles, not only in the church, but at home. Y'all fight fights that we don't even know about half the time. And like a lot of men, we don't want to give the women the credit. But no, we're giving the women the credit. In days to come, we're going to talk about how we're looking at shifting things philosophically as a church to include more women in executive leadership roles in Strong Tower Bible Church. That day is coming. That day is coming. Oh, but as I close, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. And a safe God. Give us a church that is a picture of you. That people can run to you. No matter who they are. No matter where they come from. No matter what they've done. Because there's grace and mercy in this house. There's love. There's truth in this house. And may they be built up. 
to go back out into the world and make a difference defeating the one who's already defeated. God, do it in the strong tower. The righteous run in. But as I looked at this passage this week, I said, man, there's a problem here. The righteous run in, but that's the problem. Because Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there is none righteous. No, not one. So if we're not righteous, no one is righteous, how can we run into God to find safety and protection? Well, the only way that unrighteous people can be made righteous is if someone who's righteous gives unrighteous people some righteousness. And that's what Jesus did. He knew that there's no one who understands and there's no one who seeks after God, nobody who runs after God. So Jesus said, I'm going to run after you. I'm going to run after you. And Jesus suited up into the game and became a man. And he came with the purpose of saving us from our sin and our unrighteousness so that he could give us, in exchange for us giving him our sin and degradation, he gave us his righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To be made righteous means to be justified, to be declared righteous. The righteous courts of heaven declare sinful people righteous or justified because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. And the Bible says in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified or made righteous by faith, we got peace again with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as you stand to your feet, stand to your feet with me right now.